0: Coors Brewing Company, Golden Colorado.
1: Love a good deal? Sale into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 1999. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop
0: online only at Banana Republic Factory. We're talking the Jared McKinnon injury, last-minute
2: thoughts, and in-season management on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by the FFPC and Squad QL. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Matt, week one football is gonna start this week. I'm really pumped. Any thoughts from you as we head into this week?
3: Uh I am doing all right. Uh I'm finishing up the projections and rankings. Um, so it's busy. I didn't realize kind of how far behind I was on that process. So it's probably going to be pretty late night.
2: Oh, boy. Yeah. All right, then. Well, we'll try to uh, get through this show as expediently as possible before we get into tonight's uh, or depending when you're listening this, this morning's, today's, whatever you want to call it, episode, just a couple of notes. Starting next week on the show, we are going to have a structured format where in the beginning of the show, we're going to touch upon... The past weekend, things that surprised, players that outperformed, uh, players that appear to be declining or turning upward. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to get into looking forward to the next week, hoping to give you some waiver wire recommendations, uh, previewing some of the games that are going to be must watch fantasy relevant games in the coming weeks. So we're going to have the same format every week. So you'll be able to know what to expect. And uh, I think that that is going to just continue to carry the momentum of the show forward. So with that out of the way, I think that it only makes sense that we start off with the news out of San Francisco that Jarek McKinnon will be out for the year. What do we do with this backfield now,
3: Matt? Uh, Well, I have a bigger question. First, what is the name of your cat?
2: Henry, why? Is Henry really coming through in this? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. All right, so Henry, as we've talked about before, so he's been sequestered from the recording studio, but the one thing I'm unable to stop is the cat from crying, so that's what we have.
3: Okay, so uh, talking about the 49ers... I think this is still a backfield that you want a part of. And amazing as this sounds, I think Alfred Morris is uh, is the guy. I think he's going to be the guy who gets the goal line touches and who gets a lot of the early down work. Obviously, he's not going to be the receiving back. That's Matt Breda, um, who is fantastically athletic, by the way, and mm-hmm. I think was underratedly productive last year. Uh, so I think he still has a lot of value, too. So I think both of those guys, um, I think they're viable in the eighth or ninth round.
2: Yeah, actually. So on Patreon on the live show this weekend, I was asked about that. And I had kind of said that I think that Alf somewhere in that eighth round, ninth round range is where I would start thinking about looking his way. And I thought that for me, Breida hadn't really changed that much in that he was a player that I liked and was one of those pieces that I'd want to get on to my teams for the receiving ability in PPR leagues. So I think that naturally this boosts what you can expect from him and that Morris now, I wouldn't put into, you know, a top tier of running backs or anything like that, but there's definitely value and I think he's worth rostering. So the Raiders though, will be without Martavis Bryant, who is once again under suspension. That I think was one of the other big pieces of news. Who benefits the most from this?
3: Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's weird because I hadn't really gotten around to the point of thinking about how much production Martavis Bryant would actually be worth. Cause we didn't really see him do anything, uh, in the preseason in the offense, and he didn't have any, any like building buzz during training, camp, right. uh, which in retrospect makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I think Jordy Nelson is probably the guy who benefits the most in terms of like someone I'd actually, you know, potentially start, um, Seth Roberts clearly is the guy who now slots in as number three, like in effect is the guy who benefits the most. Um because he's going to be getting a lot of snaps that otherwise would have gone to Martavis. But it's I don't think Seth Roberts is anyone that you actually want to start anyway. So I think some of the um the kind of residual uh remaining production will, will go to Jordy, and then some of it will probably go to Amari.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that's kind of where I am as well. So I, I guess what this ultimately does is give you one more thing if you were optimistic about cooper and nelson that you could point to and if you were a little bit down on them maybe this is one thing that you can take away i don't think it really shifts either of them too dramatically though yeah before we get into talking about in-season management couple of other things i wanted to run by you looking at fantasy football calculator at adp carlos hyde is going in front of dion lewis i really like lewis i'm not exactly sure what we can expect from hyde do you have a problem with this, or do you think that High should be going substantially in front of Lewis?
3: Yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, Lewis is a guy who is going to be splitting. Um, and I, I think, like, unless there is an entry to Derrick Henry, Lewis at most is a guy who is splitting. Um, but Carlos Hyde, I think it's not that he's going to be um, stealing targets from Dion uh, from, uh, uh, sorry, Duke Johnson. But yeah. uh, he does have the ability to get all of the goal line work. And uh, he got a substantial number of the first down snaps, Uh, sorry, first team snaps. So yeah, I mean, Carlos Hyde going before Deion Lewis, I'm totally fine with that.
2: Another guy that you and I have talked about before, Drew Brees is going as the fifth quarterback off the board, according to FF Calc ADP in front of Wentz and Cam Newton. Any reservations there? Any thoughts on that?
3: Uh, I think he probably should be around like, QB five or six off the board. I don't think he should go ahead of Newton though. Um, Yeah, me either. Yeah. There's always the question of like when healthy uh, with Newton. Um, But when he's healthy, I think he's a top four quarterback. Yeah.
2: I think that's where I am. Newton is probably one of the few quarterbacks that if I'm in a league that has shallow rosters, I actually might consider taking if we're in like the sixth or something and there's not options I like elsewhere. I expect big things from him this year. With quarterbacks now out of the way, who is your go-to wide receiver three? Assuming that you're on teams where you're going wide receiver heavy, which maybe what you're you know maybe you're not doing that, but I'm talking guys like Jamison Crowder, Robbie Anderson, Will Fuller. Do you have a go-to guy in in that range?
3: Yeah, I mean, not really. I guess Anderson because I I am abnormally high on him uh, relative yep. to other people, so. Yeah. Um, but I also like Fuller, not that high on Crowder, probably to my detriment. But yeah, if I'd say Anderson is probably like a go-to guy in that range. Uh, whenever he's there and I'm looking for someone, I'm taking him.
2: Gotcha. Now, an- another thing that actually has transpired since I originally put the show sheet together, but Jonathan Williams is cut. the Saints bring in Mike Gillisley. Do you think there's any value for him?
3: Uh, maybe a little bit, none that I'm going to take a risk on.
2: Really? So, like, even in the late rounds of drafts, you're you're not going to be taking any shots on him.
3: No, because I I think of him just as a like a guy who uh, is there for only like four weeks.
2: Right, and at this point, being brought in so recently, it's hard to really say if they could even get him up and inserted in, in week one. At which point, then you're only left with three weeks. I think in leagues where there's really deep rosters, like a twenty-eight man type of roster situation, then I would probably take a shot at him. But if I'm in like a 16 to 18 type of league, I'm probably not going to be looking his way. So listen, there's a couple of days that you can still get before the season starts and preparing for it with that rotoviz subscription through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our content and tools throughout the season. Naturally, we would really recommend that you check it out. But again, you're going to want to get that season long pass. RotoViz.com forward slash podcast, 30% off discount. And don't forget to come and support us on Patreon and get access to the Sunday live show that we're doing every morning at Sunday, helping you get ready for the games that day, answering all of your team questions. And more importantly than that, just helping to support the network and helping us continue to grow. So Matt, we're at the point now where many, for many people, the draft has passed. We're in the beginning of the season and I want to take some time to talk about in-season management because as I've said before, I believe that the draft, yes, it's important, but it's what you do with your team to get it through the season that really makes or breaks a year for your team. So I thought it makes sense. We jump into it, talk about some in-season management type of things so that when we're actually in-season, we can focus on identifying players that you're going to want to target, guys that you might want to drop, teams with difficult upcoming schedules, that sort of thing. And we can kind of let the strategic in-season management elements get discussed in this episode. So what do you think that owners should be doing right out of the gate week one, week two, to make their teams better, perhaps even before the season starts?
3: Mm, Yeah, I think, um, so one thing that I do in most leagues, um, even if I don't do it officially, I'll have like a running list. So either it's just in my head or like I actually write out a list or put it in an Excel sheet um, of players I potentially might pick up, right? Just like my sort of watch list. Um, Yep. And I'll also kind of have like this mental tally of like who is the first player or the first two players on this team that I would be looking to drop, But like always kind of thinking proactively with the waiver wire. Um, and I think it's okay to be super aggressive uh, even before the season starts uh, with bottom of the roster guys on on dropping them and adding new guys. um because especially with those, Uh, bottom of the roster guys, so much is dependent on opportunity. Um, so I, I think, especially with running backs, but even, you know, like guys who are wide receiver twos or wide receiver threes on their team, I think it's, uh, necessary to be pretty aggressive early. Like just because you drafted a guy, I don't know, in the 12th round or something like, you know, two weeks later, that might really mean nothing. So, like I would rather be kind of aggressive on dropping a guy like that instead of kind of like anchoring to the original draft capital that I invested in him and then just like miss out on a potential player I would have wanted just because I held on to a guy too long so like even now i'm I'm looking so for instance, even before new- and I got really lucky with this, but even before news yeah. broke, um That Jarek McKinnon tore his ACL, I had already added Alfred Morris in a lot of leagues. Um so you know, and I don't remember like who I dropped, but it was, you know, like you know, like my eighth wide receiver or something like that. You know what I mean? And like it would have been easy to be like, oh no, I don't want to drop, I don't know, like I don't want to drop Deshaun Jackson, or I don't want to drop like DD Westbrook or whoever it is. Um, but yeah, I mean I think ultimately You want to be really aggressive what you're doing uh, right now, because I think, you know, if you if you do something that pays off now, it pays off for the rest of the season versus like an in-season move when you will probably be, I don't know, maybe like more desperate and there will be fewer options left.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, A lot of that is what I was going to going to add to this. So just a couple of things that I would mention that popped into my head while you were talking, taking notes, which I think you alluded to, like, I think it's there's definitely a lot of value in as you're moving along, even if it's just mentally, like taking notes on different players, notes on different situations, staying aware of everything. And it really is so true that you don't want to fall into this trap where just because you drafted a guy and you currently own him, you have this fear of letting go. I think lots of times people have this fear of, Dropping a player and then all of a sudden him hitting and having a, you know, a ridiculous stretch and they fear that they don't want to be the team that let that guy go. But how often does that situation really manifest? Just because you drafted a player does not mean that he's really helping out your team. And I think lots of times if you're holding on to a guy singularly because you drafted him, that's actually at the detriment of your team because you're preventing yourself from going out there mining for new opportunities with players that could have situations break their way. So like Matt said, when you're looking at that bottom part of your roster or guys that there's an unclear situation, there's no problem in moving them for players that have signals pointing towards them being able to Provide your team with more value than these guys that you already have, so I think like there's a cognitive bias in your mind where you're afraid to let go of the things that you do have and you value the things that you possess more than the things that you don't have, which kind of permeates into trades, which is something we'll talk about later but so along those lines, and I think you already touched upon this, when do you think it's okay to drop players so maybe let's frame this differently we're not going to be talking about players that you added late in your draft. What about the the player that you draft? Maybe in the eighth round, a wide receiver that's had a couple solid years of production, but it's really not manifesting. You have them in your lineup perhaps once or twice. They've been striking out. When do you start thinking about dropping a player like that?
3: Um... Okay, so a, a couple of things, but um, but before yep. I get to that, there was one more. Uh, I think one more idea that I had on the the earlier topic of of what should people be doing now, and I, this popped into my head when you said kind of like taking notes. Um, it depends on yep. how obsessive you want to be, and I think maybe like two things: how well you know your league mates and how many leagues you're in. But you can also be taking notes on what uh, other people are doing in your league. Um, like, is there someone who is just horrible at making trades or is there like, is there someone who has, um, like a really bad wide receiver situation? Like kind of look for things like that, that you might be able to leverage at that point or a little bit later in the season. Uh, I think even if you're not like ready to do a trade, you could at least have like a quick conversation of like, Hey, um, you know, like your wide receiver situation, like it's, it's (laughs) a little shaky. Maybe you don't say that. Maybe you don't start with, Hey, you're, you're, sucking at drafting wide receivers. Um but you know like you right. start to lay the groundwork for a potential deal that could come later. Um you know or it's it's almost like the like, like the Raiders, you know, it's like they start out in the John Gruden era like making bad trades and then like they just continue to make bad trades because teams just start start coming at them with bad offers, right? And so like if there's someone in yep. your league that, you know, just makes bad trades, uh, like note that, like, remember that and, you know, start offering them some trades that are maybe like a little bit below market value, like maybe not enough to like destroy them, but like where you're, you know, like you feel you're getting the better, the better side of a deal. Um, but to the, the other question of when is it okay to drop players? Um, I think it's okay when, um, when it is clear that their usage has changed in a um, pretty permanent way. Um, So not, not anything to do with results, but if it's like they are just using a guy differently, um, he's not getting the same snaps that he used to get, or he's still getting the snaps, but he's not getting the targets. Um, Like something in his situation has changed in, in an irrevocable way Where, um, you just can't see one, um, his usage going back to what it was, or two, him becoming more efficient with the decreased usage that he has. So if you, if you're in a situation like that, to me, it almost kind of doesn't matter what you spent on a guy. If he is just like projecting into the future, uh, no longer the player that you thought you drafted and you're looking at your roster and he's like, uh, you know, like worse than everyone else on your roster and worse than some people you could add, then yeah, he gets dropped. And I think it kind of doesn't matter again, like what you spent on him. Hopefully that's not happening to someone you drafted with like, you know, a a pick in the third round or something like that, but like it can happen to players.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and I think it's on a sliding scale too. So the better a player is naturally the longer you're going to give him before you start to reassess and say if you're going to let him go but the point that you made there about usage is key because you will see things where maybe less experienced fantasy players are not paying attention to the overall workload or the quality of those targets so what i would say to people that are just getting into fantasy or maybe just starting to read rotoviz and there's players that they're questioning if they should drop Definitely check out the expected points, which you can find in the screener, because that's going to show you with a player's opportunity that he's been receiving adjusted for where on the field, the game situation, the score, uh, different things like that, the expected points from the opportunity that he should have. So that's going to identify for you perhaps a player is still getting the looks and he's just not making the most of them, but lots of times that will flip by the end of the season with solid players. So I think like Matt said, you have to look at the opportunity, but just because you drafted the guy in the sixth round, once you're at week four, week five, that is so irrelevant. You need to let it go because at that point, he's not a sixth rounder, He's not a fifth rounder. If the season started that today or started today, he would be down much lower. So it really goes back to being willing to cut bait When a player has stopped providing much value for your team, and it also comes down to if you start to think about your team holistically and the players that are available on the waiver wire, by making a move, is that going to make your team better off? Does it give your team more opportunity? And lots of times the answer probably is it does. And the other thing I would say, if you have players that you're afraid of dropping, consider this if you let that player go, what are the odds that there's going to be similar options on the waiver wire? Because lots of times those are pretty high as well. So those are the things that I would keep in mind there, but it's definitely not being afraid to turn your roster. I've talked about this before, but I think that you need to view your team as you have your starters, you have your rotational players, which are players that will make their way into your starting lineup every once in a while. You have bench guys that are there as depth that perhaps they could pan out. And then you have what I like to call like waiver wire guys which are maybe two to three spots on your roster that each week can certainly shift around as you're mining for players that look like they might have opportunity coming up in the coming weeks or that they can expect to get more looks Um and those are the type of players that you can shift and then you kind of view your team holistically like this and that's going to get into some of the things that we talk about later so one other thing I'm curious about, Matt, is do you have a weekly process? Um, kind of meaning like, you know, you have your games on Sunday. Is there anything that you start to do to determine moves that you're going to make on your teams? Do you kind of log? I'm just curious about this in general. Do you log into all of your teams at once, go through adding and dropping or, you know, do you have any nuance to approaching this or anything that you think might be helpful for people out there? Uh,
3: no, it's, <laughs> I have a very unnuanced process. It's basically like, okay. you know, yeah, just like everyone else. I think I'll log in, I'll look and see um, what I need to do. You know, like, do I still have a team that like is viable or do I need to make some trades? Do I need to drop yeah. some people? Um, a, a couple of things on the the dropping of players. Um, I'd like to try to use if possible, um, the, the trade market as some sort of, uh, I don't know, kind of like value proxy. So not that I'm going to Mm -hmm. trade a player, but that, so like, as you mentioned, like by the time you get to week four, week five, you shouldn't be thinking of what was the original draft capital you invested in a guy. I think you should be thinking of like, what would the player get? Um, what would he be able to fetch in a trade? right um yep. that gives you like a much better sense of what his value is uh and if <laughs> you know like if if i ask some people like hey do you have any interest in this guy like and if no one has any interest in him like that's kind of your answer like i mean you sh- you should probably be able to look at value in a different way anyway but the trade market will also probably give you a sense of what a guy is actually worth like if no one is interested in having a guy on their team you probably shouldn't be interested in having him on your team either. Um, <laughs> and then just in, in terms of, uh, like weekly process. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, like it's, it's very, like, it's very simple, just looking at, at the team, trying to figure out, um, if I have a team that needs to make a move or not. Um, but I tend to view players a little bit differently than, than you do. Um, cause you, yeah. you have like, the guys who are starters, the guys who kind of rotate in, um, the guys who are more like depth, and then the guys who yep. are kind of just like a waiver wire fodder, like guys who are kind of rotating in and out and hoping that uh, one of them might get more usage. Yep. Um, for me, I'm basically looking at everyone as a potential starter. Like that's that's what mm-hmm. I want. Uh, and if I don't think that at some point a guy has the potential to become a starter – Um, like on my team, like good enough at some point for me to use, then I'm looking to drop him. Because at that point, I just, Mm -hmm. I don't see why I would want him on my team.
2: Right. Well, I guess my caveat there would kind of be, you know, obviously every player in my configuration I'm hoping could be a starter, but this is just kind of how I divide it up so that I'm making sure that I'm continuing to kind of churn and like try to improve it. But, you know, I, I guess there's all different ways that you can look at these things. So that, that, that kind of makes sense. Now, I will say what I do in my weekly process is there's two ways that I've approached this. One is I have a spreadsheet where I have the link to the My Team page for all of my teams on this spreadsheet. I open them all at once and just start going left to right Looking at in these different leagues, players that are available. Um, because normally I'll have a list on a given week of guys that I'm interested in. And then I try to look and just kind of get a sense of in different leagues, you know, are these guys available? Because um, sometimes that will inform me before I start making decisions. Maybe I'm looking through the waiver wire on one of my teams and I realized there's a couple of names at a position that I'm interested in and maybe some that I hadn't actually thought or considered about yet. So then I'll just work my way through all at once. But I think the organization of having every team in one place is really helpful. The other thing that you can do is in like a Chrome or Firefox or any browser, you can make uh, bookmarks into groups. So I'll make a bookmark that is all of my 2018 fantasy teams. And you can open those all at once. I know that's a simple thing, but it's actually really helpful for me to stay organized. And I've even taken it further that I have a bookmark that shows the date that the waiver wire moves need to be in. So I'll have a Tuesday, I'll have a Wednesday, and in that way, like if I don't have a lot of time that week, I can prioritize doing the Tuesday teams earlier, which I actually think this could be a worthwhile trick if you have not managed many teams yet to do something like that so you stay organized because it actually uh can become a bit of a chore trying to do your ads and your drops and and monitor every team yeah
3: that's a great idea um I believe that Sean Siegel has a similar process um one more thought for me on process. Uh, yeah. I spend uh, way more time and this probably isn't right, but it's just kind of part of my process way more time uh, on my dynasty teams than I do on my redraft teams, maybe for a, a couple of reasons. Like one, um, the moves that I make just have like longer ramifications. So like, I want to spend more time on, on those because like, if I make a good move, like that could pay off for like a couple of years. Um, but also, um, and I don't know if this makes any sense at all, but, uh, uh, and this might be like totally anecdotal, but, um, I believe that when I've had my best redraft seasons has also been when I've had my best dynasty seasons. Um, and like, I think something like the, I I don't know, I think like my process of looking at players through a kind of long-term dynasty perspective actually helps me find players in redraft who have a chance of breaking out that other people might be undervaluing like maybe they don't think that those players are as close to breaking out as they actually are um so yeah. I, I don't know but i like i find that i spend probably 80 or 90% of my mental energy on dynasty uh and when i'm doing well there that seems to spill over to redraft
2: Well, yeah, that does make complete sense. For example, a player like Jerron Brown, if you're playing predominantly redraft, maybe you've never had him. If you're a dynasty owner, you might have had him on a couple of teams and you're already aware about the fact that you know he does have a decent profile and he's one of these guys that maybe if he gets a situation like he could have this year in Seattle, things could work out. Not sure if that's the best example, but it's basically if you're a dynasty player, I think that you have or you're more in tune with all of the options that are out there and you probably have a better understanding of the back ends of depth charts than you do if you're just playing redraft so i definitely think that makes sense and i also think that sometimes there's things that uh, you focus on in redraft that can help you out in dynasty because Sometimes you can fall into the trap in dynasty of looking too far out into the future. But if you play a lot of redraft, I think that can kind of balance that so that you're not always getting carried away looking for those guys that maybe are two or three years out. And you can get yourself into the mindset of looking at maybe just the next year or two. Yeah. Uh, so I, d- I do think that, yeah, like you've said, they're, they're helpful if you're doing it. Yeah, both. I think
3: that's actually a really good point. I think the, um, the timeline to success is much closer for redraft and dynasty than a lot of people think. Like, like I, I think they're almost the same thing. Yeah.
2: I mean, with, with some nuance to that, but no, I definitely get you. Cause I think the problem that you run into with dynasty is, is looking too far out. I think that's the most common, largest mistake that people make is you just keep playing for the future and you're never playing for the now. And lots of times it's the team's, That are prioritizing present production to future that are successful. At least that's what I've seen. And again, that's probably anecdotal to some standpoint, but I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's correct. So a reminder if you want an unfair advantage, to dominate your fantasy football league, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. And you may ask, how does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN or CBS leagues pulling your actual roster and your league scoring system. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations plus the app gives you rankings each week and it's all based on your league settings squadql truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season head to squadql.com to download squadql you're all in one fantasy football manager squadql is brought to you by the creators of rotoql the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by 100,000 dfs players you can also download rotoql for free on both apple and android and later in the show we're going to talk about a concept where you know squadql is going to be something you're going to want to check out for it, and that is how do you set your lineups every week so we're going to talk about that in the show but this is definitely something you're going to want to check out uh so again that squadql so matt you know we get asked for advice a lot and people have been asking me for advice, and usually it's what team to bet on. The truth is, I probably don't have as good of a handle on that as you, but if those of you out there listening to the show do, you've got to check out my bookie. We talked about them last year. A lot of guys at RotoViz use them week in and week out. I've had a great experience there, and I think it's important to realize that it's not only about betting your money on specific teams, how you're playing things, but it's important that you're using a site that you can trust and a site where you will get your payout. And I can assure you that my bookie will make sure that you do get your money. They have some of the quickest turnaround times in the business. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, which is really cool. The most rewarding player perks in the business. And if you're a fantasy player, like many of you listening to the show are, You can bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game, which I think is one of the coolest things. They have a mobile app I really like. And if you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code ROTOVIS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code ROTOVIS when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. You play, you win, you get paid.
4: Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited.
2: So Matt, there is a trade epidemic going on. In my opinion, there is just way too much trading going on. I think that people tend to make too many moves with too little information and they do it too quickly, too fast into the season. Perhaps not so much in Dynasty where trading is a huge part of it, but I see in Redraft lots of times people making huge blockbuster trades two to three weeks in do you disagree with me on this? How do you approach trading? Two things I'm curious in. How are you evaluating a trade that you are offered or when you're considering putting a deal together, how are you thinking about that? And then when do you think it is appropriate within the season to start hmm. making trades? It's,
3: uh, there's a lot there. Um there's a lot there. So we can go piece by piece yeah, so if you want or however you want to. I'm trying to, take to it. think about this. Like I don't really play in leagues much anymore where there's a lot of trading. And I think it's maybe just like right. um a function of the leagues I'm playing in. So like either I'm playing in leagues with other people in the industry who are in tons of other leagues and they're just like not really thinking much about trades. Uh, or I'm playing in leagues with yep. people who like are like quote unquote like grown ups. And, you know, like they like they have kids and like, this isn't just like their highest yep. priority. So they're not really thinking much about trade. Right. Um, but I like, so I'm probably not the best person to ask about this, um, but I used to be really active in the trade market. Um, and mm. sometimes I made some stupid trades, but really not all that often. Um, for the most part, I felt like I, I was a pretty good trader. Um, but my, (laughs) how I view trades tends to be like very animalistic and it's like, um, it's like, what, (laughs) I don't know. It's like, what am I going to regret? And that's probably a horrible way to think about trades. But it's like, um, yeah. if I don't do this, am I going to regret it? And like, if I do this and it works out um, or if I do this and it doesn't work out. So I think of like all the different outcomes of like what will happen if I do it and what will happen if I don't do it and what I might regret most. And then I try to do the opposite of that. <laughs> so uh, that's a horrible <laughs> way to evaluate trades. Uh, but that's kind of. That's kind of how I I do it. But I mean, also part of it is that um, I have a, at least when I was like active in the trade market, like I would just have a sense of what trade value was, um, you know, of like what people were willing to pay um, within the league. And then, you know, in a lot of different leagues, what people were willing to pay for particular players or particular types of players. And so I, like, I think if you have yeah. that kind of bigger picture sense and then you have kind of like the, the micro perspective of the nuances of your league, then you can be a very good, uh, trade market participant. Like, I don't think it makes sense to limit yourself to just the waiver wire. Like, mm-hmm. I think you want to be active in the trade market. Um, and because I felt I was, um, probably like plus EV. With trades, I wanted to do almost as many trades as possible because it was sort of just like repetitions, you know. Like, like if you are good at throwing the ball in football, you basically want to throw the ball as often as possible, and that's kind of how it felt with trades. Like, if you're good at them, you want to do them as much as you can.
2: That makes a lot of sense. I I have to say that does make a lot of sense, and I and I also like the point that you've made because that's one thing heading in tonight that I hadn't thought to mention which is a really great point that is using trades as a way to acquire other players that are useful for your team, almost use it like the waiver wire. Because I think the thing that I see people normally getting caught up in the trap of is that every trade has to be this big blockbuster trade. And I'm probably talking more in like a home league because I know like a lot of leagues that you have significant money on the line, there isn't trading allowed. Um, but oftentimes we don't look at trades as a way to get players at the back end of your roster that could be useful in the future. And I think that lots of times that is a really good way to uh, win a trade, if you will, or, or there's players that get viewed as throw-ins that could actually have some value because they are maybe a little bit better than what you
3: can yeah. get on the at that last wire. point, if I can jump in there, um, that was like my favorite yep. was that like, if there was a guy who had a player I wanted, like I absolutely wanted, he is not the person I would mention when talking about the trade. I would try to construct something yep. else around some other player and then bring in that second player, the guy I really wanted as like a potential throw in or as like a component of the trade that was like just tangential. That was really the guy I wanted, but I never wanted the person I was doing a trade with to know what, like what my angle was.
2: Yeah, definitely. That was like last season. I think I got Tariq Cohen thrown in as what seemed like a throwaway in a trade. And he just got added on at the end. And I was like, you know, I wasn't expecting what happened right early on in the season. This was a trade actually made like heading into week one, but it worked out. And it just goes to show that sometimes there's value in players that the other owners might not be considering. So I'll tell you how I actually evaluate trades. I have a little bit of a system now. One of the things that I don't buy into is the piece of advice, which I know a lot of smart people go with, which is you want to be on the side that gets the best player in a trade. In my opinion, what really matters is not so much the players involved in the trade and which side has the stronger group of players. It's looking at my team before I make the trade and comparing that to my team after I make the trade. Does my team improve? I don't go out there and make trades. I might offer them just because, because obviously it's easier if you're offering There's players that you think you know are better than the players you have, you can do it. But when it comes to accepting trades, I'm not doing it just because I feel like I have to make a move or because I'm getting offered players that I might like. I'm accepting trades and then working from them because I have areas of my roster that I want to improve or there's things that I think I can do to make my team better. So when I get an offer, the first thing I do is I look at How are my starters going to be affected? How are my rotational players going to be affected? How are my bench players going to be affected? How are my waiver wire type guys going to be impacted? Is this going to improve my team? And then the little system that I use is I basically assign guys that are going to be weekly starters a one, and then I multiply that um, using a one to 10 scale of what I believe a player's rest of season value is going to be. And I do this for all players in, that are going to be on my team if I make the trade. And then I look at players after. So perhaps I'm getting offered, maybe I'm weak at tight end. I'm solid at wide receiver. Somebody offers me a decent tight end and they want some of my wide receivers. So then I'll look at you know the groupings that are going to be involved. And if there's bench players involved, I'll bring that in and then I'll kind of do the math. So maybe it's something like I need a starter at tight end. The guy that I currently have is my starter, I'm thinking is like a five. So he gets a five times a one. He's a five. Maybe I'm getting a player that's like an eight The eight times the one. He's going to be the starter. That's an eight. Then I'll look, I'm losing a starter at wide receiver who might be a six. And I'm going to have to then move up one of my roto- one of my rotational players that is like a four into my starting squad. And then I'll also include if I receive like a bench player from the other person, I'll add that into the math. Is this making any sense without numbers there to like, yeah, no, it it makes sense. So
3: a couple of thoughts, your, uh, your analysis or your process has really got that kitty purring. Uh, it really, (laughs) it's really (laughs) digging what you're saying. Uh, and, and then I think you should do an article, um, kind of breaking down that approach, because I think yeah. one, it, it would be helpful. And I think, you know, like like I said, like I just I have really like no strong um I don't know like analytical process for breaking down trades. Like I, I feel like I have a strong intuitive sense of what players are worth, but um yeah, it always helps I think to quantify the process where possible. Um even, even if you find later right. that you could have quantified more precisely. Um, you're, you're like building your way there. So I, I think it's good that you have this, um, this framework. And I think people could, could benefit from that. Um, one thing I, uh, kind of going off of something that you said, one thing that I think is beneficial and kind of quote unquote getting the best player is so like that's not like whenever I was trading, that wasn't like the thing that I was setting out to do. But normally getting the best player requires that you give up more players. And I always liked doing yep. that because there would always be players on the waiver wires that I wanted to pick up. Um, so I felt like I would be able to like kill two birds with one stone, where I would be able to upgrade, yeah um, upgrade the players likely to be starting for me every week, uh, but then also be able to upgrade some of my depth by adding someone. From waivers. So, like one of the first things is that like if I see that there's someone on waivers I want to pick up, I'm not just looking to drop someone on my team. I'm actually trying to look to trade first so that I can clear roster space to add someone I want.
2: See, now that is a really, really important point that you hit upon here. Cause I think it just shows how we talk a lot about strategy heading into the season, but we don't really focus too much on in season. And that is a really strategic thing that you did there. So it's just looking at getting creative. And I think that makes so much sense. If there's a guy that you know you're going to add, make this space for him by not only being able to add him, but get something more that's going to improve your team. So I really like that. And I also like how you stressed that it's improving your team and just the different ways that you can go about doing that. So. Having said that now, Matt, um, the one thing that we didn't, uh, that we didn't get into. So each, we each kind of have different processes. Mine tries to kind of put in the context of numbers, which like you said, they don't need to be too precise, but it's having some type of system that you can use to compare your team before and your team after. And I do think that it makes really good content and would be a useful article. Cause when I actually do go through the system, I think that there's, there's some utility to it, but I want to get your take on this. You start off the season, right? You go 0-2 through the first two weeks. Are you going to panic and start putting together packages that involve your best players that have yet to perform or anything like that? Are you just going to toss out the same type of trades or are you going to kind of let the dust settle, maybe wait until week four, week five Uh, to start trading? That's a really good
3: question. Um, so a couple of things, it just kind of depends on the players who are underperforming and why I think they're underperforming. If, you know, like if I think that their usage sucks and I think this is actually a point where uh, I can sort of sell them high to what their value is now, then I would look to trade them pretty quickly, maybe before the rest of the league notices that those players are underperforming. Um, if I think the players are going mm-hmm. to bounce back, like their usage looks fine, or, you know, it's just like they had two tough matchups to start the season or whatever it is, then I'm not really looking to trade. The thing is, um, I tend to construct my teams sometimes in ways where I almost anticipate that I'm going to start the season slow. Um, you know, like yeah. I will, I will almost always, uh, have players who are suspended or, or like, uh, maybe try to, to get guys that I think might not, um, might not start the season as like the first team running back, but like might have the chance in the second half of the year or something like that. So, um, if I start a season two and O like I'm feeling good. Cause like, I just, I think that like my team is going to get better. And if I start, you know, one and one or O and two, I kind of don't really care Because I was assuming that I wasn't going to start all that fast anyway.
2: Mm. A couple of interesting points there. So I think one of the things that we've hit upon a lot here is that with the trading and not even just trading, but dropping, maybe making ads as well. A lot of it comes down to the information that you have at the point in time. And when you're looking at players given what you've seen, maybe through two weeks, is there anything that points to a substantially different situation for that player? Or has th- or have things really changed from what you knew two weeks ago? If they have, that's when you can make those moves. If you don't really have that information, I think you should be more conservative uh, in what you do with those players. But that is a great point there. And then the other interesting thing is with the team starting slow, I definitely have seen that work in the past. And I- I've done leagues with friends where we kind of split the team and i'm like listen you know this team will pick up as the season goes along and we start off zero and three and they're really panicking and then it all kind of kicks in so i've seen teams that i've constructed like that work out, but this year i have started to prioritize a little bit more winning early on in the season because i do think that that um, will allow me to get a little bit more creative with how i'm managing the roster in season but seeing as I've mainly been going with the approach like you. I don't know if I have too much to add on how that's going to work out. So maybe at the end of the season, that's something we can talk about. I did kind of recall as you were talking just a little bit more about that trading system that I was using to evaluate it. So the multiplication was for a starter, you did one times whatever you believed their rest of season value to be. For a rotational player, it was 0.65 times whatever you believed it to be. A bench player was a 0.4 and a waiver wire player was a 0.1. And then so you would look at To do the math out, you look at on your roster, wherever any of those players are started beforehand, you do the math, and then you look at your roster after the trade has been made, where those players are going to fall into your roster, and then you do the math that way. So again, I probably should put this into a quick article or something along those lines, but if you want a little bit more color on the system, that's it. And I don't think it matters that you're too precise with it, but it gives you some framework to evaluate, and it really goes back to making your team better after Than it was before. I know it's hard sometimes when you're making trades with your friends or whatnot. If you're in a home league, if it, it, you know, looking at, oh, well, I don't want to give this team Antonio Brown. I don't want, you know, I don't want my buddy to have Kareem Hunt and whoever the other player is, but it's really about making your team better. I don't know if that brings up any thoughts for you, Matt. When you're trading, how often do you worry about making the team that you're trading with stronger? Um,
3: it's interesting. Like I think I actually might write an article on this at some point, but um like I don't want to be yep. a dick when it comes to trades. Um and I I guess a lot of it just depends mm-hmm. on the league, but in general, um I think you want to have trades that are equitable, especially because I I tend to be more in right. dynasty leagues. And so if you if you mm-hmm. screw over someone in a trade, they're not going to trade with you they're going to be less likely to trade with someone else. And then eventually, but pretty quickly, the trade market becomes stagnant. Right. And like, that is, that is not a good situation. So yeah, the best scenario is, um, you know, like you're dealing from a position of strength at, uh, you know, like a, a wide receiver and someone else is coming from a position of strength at running back or something like that. And you can help each other out. Um, I think it is important for like both sides of a trade at least to be like defensible where like both people feel as if they entered into negotiations and they got something that they needed.
2: I mean, I really think that though it might not seem like it sometimes when you're putting trades together, but you're going to have better success in the long term if you're making sure that the trades that you put together – makes sense from the other owner's perspective. They are somewhat equitable and they should be within the realm of possibility. Now, I think most of the times you're anticipating that the person's going to counter. So it's kind of like just getting the ball rolling, but you got to be smart about how you do it because you can kind of either just offend or scare off some owners altogether. Um, and then kind of along those lines, like if I'm making a trade with a team, it's normally not going to be another team that's very competitive unless for whatever reason, I feel like the, the trade would improve my team so much more that it would be worthwhile to do. Um But the other thing that I also like to do is when I'm considering teams that I will try to make the moves with around like maybe week seven-ish when the pressure starts to feel like it's on for teams to make the playoffs, or if they're an important matchup in a league that has divisions, that's when I try to ship them a guy That has a very favorable upcoming game. I view that as a window or an opportunity. So when there's matchups in my leagues between teams in in leagues where there's divisions, which I hate having divisions, but if I know there's a game that's really important, that's when I'll be willing to throw in one of my guys that I don't really like, but has a good matchup that week. To try to take a player that I've been eyeing on their team. There's some interesting things that you yeah, can do. Yeah, I think long
3: term, um, you always get more value by being a good actor in the trade market. Final
2: thing, Matt, before we close off. So we've talked about trades, we've talked about ads and drops. Another thing that I think is a constant struggle for every owner is how do you set your lineup? <laughs> Each week, how are you choosing which guys to start? I know there's so many different ways you can do this. There's a lot of different processes. What do you do? And, you know, do you have any advice? Uh,
3: yeah. Um, switch to a best ball league. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, so, oh, no, and the thing, so the, the longtime dynasty league that I'm in just last year, we switched to best ball. So we still have waivers. Um, we still do trades. So it's still basically like a normal head to head league, but you don't have to set your lineup each week. And honestly, like it's made it so much more enjoyable, both like from, uh, like the perspective of like, Oh, Sunday morning, I don't have to worry about this. It's just one less thing on my list. But then also, um, you know, like it's guys now who have like kids. They have just like more important things to do in their life and um right like they don't have to worry about it like you have fewer guys who are at risk of dropping out um because they're not setting their lineup you know what i mean um so anyway that's just kind yeah. of like my pitch for like you know, like optimized lineups each week but in terms of like who to start um so like last year i was uh, number six in like the fantasy pros in season ranking contest. And I still think that I suck at picking each week who to start. Right. Um, it, it's so much of it is a crapshoot. And that, like, honestly, that is why I kind of have the perspective of I want to have as many potential like starter caliber guys in my lineup as possible or like in my roster as possible. Because like, if I, if I make a mistake in starting the wrong person, at least the person I started probably won't be that much worse than the, the person I didn't start. Like that's, you know, like I, I try to sort of like idiot proof my lineup. Um, but like, I don't um, it's not that I don't pay attention to matchups because I do, but I think people tend to overvalue mm-hmm. the importance of matchups to, to a player's projection. Yeah. Um, in general, it's not like basketball. Where, uh, like how a guy performs is very dependent on his matchup. Like in football, it's like a team basically has their identity and they're going to do whatever they want to do. Like if a team wants to run the ball, even if they're playing a, a defense that is very stout against the run, the offense is just going to run the ball. They're going to continue to do it, but they're just going to do it less efficiently. Like there are very few offenses. That approach game plans week to week with a strong sense of um, exploiting repeatedly the defense's uh, weaknesses. Uh, and, and so what that basically means is that um, within your own players, you have a pretty narrow range of outcomes. um I mean, especially if you're not thinking about like touchdowns, I mean, you kind of have to, but touchdowns are kind of fluky, but like within a general sense, you have a very solid idea of like, okay, this guy is probably going to get anywhere from like 14 to 18 touches in this game. Uh, and, and so for the most part, uh, I'm looking not so much at the production, um, like past production, but I'm looking at the usage that I think a guy is likely to get. Uh, and you know, I'm, that's basically how I make my decisions. Um, and and that doesn't translate exactly to a like, quote unquote, start your studs strategy, but pretty much like in the end, like if, like it will, it would be hard for me, um, to bench a guy who has been, um, significantly better through like the first, I don't know, two thirds of a season, um, than another guy just because of a matchup. So ultimately in the end, like it's, it sounds like very simplistic and stupid, but like I basically end up starting for the most point, especially like later in the season, the guys who have scored fantasy points up to that point in the season, you know, that's just sort of like kind of how it works out. And right. it's not as if it's necessarily like I'm starting them just because they've been productive, but those tend to be the guys who have um usage that I feel I can rely on and project a little more accurately.
2: A lot of thoughts here. I think the format of best ball, but head to head sounds incredible. I actually really like that. That's just, that is really, really intriguing to me because I'm spending about 30 hours a week on the football, like on the writing and stuff, in addition to doing like my actual job. And then that's not including my setting my lineups and all of that for a lot of leagues. So I think that we need to start to make a shift to, uh, that being the format, I actually like that better than just the pure best ball where it's just the the points all through the season. Um, In terms of the matchups, I try not to get too caught up into that as well because you'll see people asking questions like, uh, you know, Julio Jones is playing, insert a good cornerback. Should I sit him? And it's like, no, like Julio Jones, you should keep in. We've seen Julio Jones beat incredible cornerbacks and have huge fantasy days versus players like that before. You know, that's not going to change. It's those lower level guys that you might want to reconsider it. So I'm kind of with you there. I think the other thing to keep in mind, because my brother about every week will be agonizing over starting two guys that are extremely similar. And then he'll always talk about how he he got it wrong and he's flip-flopping back and forth. And we have this discussion pretty much every week of every season going back six years. The thing that I try to stress, and I actually have done a study and looked at this before, is you're having trouble choosing because they're two very similar options. And though you're going to get it wrong week to week, it's practically impossible because it's kind of like flipping a coin, you know, and if you flip a coin and you try to get it right every week for 15, 16 weeks, you know, your odds of they're they're not that great. Like it actually works out to much lower than you would think um, for a couple of mathy reasons. But my ultimate point here is like, you don't beat yourself up over. And I do try to look at it like this. I say to myself, if I had to keep this player in the lineup for the next three to four weeks, which one would I keep in? And lots of times I find my answer by going back to, I think there's a reason that one of those guys will see a little bit more opportunity or has seen a little bit more opportunity. So I try to avoid flip-flopping back and forth too much and having that bad variance work out. But ultimately, if you're choosing between like a Tyreek Hill, well, actually, let me think of a more realistic example that you might have. If you're choosing between like um, Golden Tate and Juju Smith-Schuster, maybe, you don't really have any good way of knowing. So like, I just don't think it's worth beating yourself up. Just think about the player that you can foresee if you consider the game scripts, the opportunity that they're going to get having the better day in the broader range of outcomes. And I think that's really all that you can do and avoid... Sitting like you know your AJ Greens of the world, your Antonio Browns never sit those guys just because of the matchup. Any thoughts on that? Anything that uh, kind of got yeah? Your um, turning you back? know how
3: I said in the trade market, I'm very driven by the um, the urge not to do something that I will regret. Um, that's <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm also the same way when it comes to starters. Like uh, if 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 I have a guy who's really good <laughs> and I don't play him and he has a massive performance, I'm really going to regret that. So yeah.
2: Oh, okay. So I I yep. always start those. Brings guys. up a huge point for me, yep. Right. The other thing that you have to avoid doing, and I think this is why my brother gets himself into trouble, is you can't look backward. When you're setting your lineup, you're looking forward. So don't get caught into the oh, the last time the last two times I played this guy over this guy, you know, he had a bad day. Like that shouldn't be informing your decision. The player that you're starting in that week, there should be a reason that is given a future reason or a past reason that is something other than you made the wrong decision in the weeks prior. I think you're really going to hinder yourself if you're looking at that and you're considering the performance of two cons- similar players in regard to which one you started and which one you didn't. Because I think if you look, and I've actually told people to do this before, if you pick one of your teams, even just one, and every week you write down the decisions that you were agonizing over and then the difference between those players that you would have had and you tally that through the whole season, you're going to realize that your plus less minus isn't really like that far off. Like it might feel like you're always making the wrong choice, but if you add up the points that you could have gained, if you had flipped and gone the other way, lots of times it's not going to be nearly as high as you would think. And I actually did a study one time, but I this was like four years ago and I can't remember the numbers, but the moral of the story is... The negative impact that you have on the wrong decisions is largely going to be overstated in yeah, your mind. Yeah, I could see that. So I think that we've covered in-season management pretty in-depth here. We're going to find ways to sprinkle these into the shows that we do in season. But like I said, they're gonna, we're going to try to keep them pretty structured, moving along pretty quickly so we can get a lot of good information to you. And one segment that I do want to do in these shows is something called like the tough call of the week. Where listeners can send in, you can call the voicemail line or you can email us about a in-season management type of decision that you're struggling with, something that you need help with. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe it's something along the lines of, I'm solid at wide receiver. I'm struggling at running back. You lay out some specifics and you're, you know, you get at how can you make your team better? Something like that or, um, anything that seems like it's kind of, a good example of being in a quandary that one might face as a manager. And in that week, we'll focus on that question. So please shoot us that stuff in season. It's a good way to get some analysis on your question. I think that it will add um, just some good questions to the show that will allow us to expand upon some of these in-season management decisions, which I really think can make or break your season. So unless you have anything else to say, uh, we can close down. Actually, Matt, I'm going to throw this to you. Before we leave, what's the thing that you're most excited about seeing heading into week one? Um,
3: (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I'm like so in the weeds, uh, with week one at this point Mm -hmm. that, uh, the thing I'm most excited to see is just like the game starting and, uh, all of the content that we have to, uh, get out this upcoming week just done. That's what I'm excited for.
2: Oh, I, yes, I can relate to that. So I, I will say the two things that I'm going to be watching, uh, in week one, I can't wait to see what Saquon Barkley actually does on an NFL field. And I'm also really intrigued to see how Alex Smith will be able to mesh into Washington and if he can remain mm-hmm. looking like the Alex that, Smith that's that we good. saw okay, last I, I have
3: two things. One of them is like a, an actual okay. thing. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how, uh, Patrick Mahomes does against the Chargers. Um, because that's like that's a legit Great. matchup, yep. you know, like they have one of the best secondaries in the league. And if he can do well against them, um he he could have a massive season. So like that's just kind of a litmus test, you know, so like I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Uh, and then also, uh, this isn't something I'm looking forward to, but it's something that uh, you should be looking forward to, you being the person listening to this. Because if you Google head-to-head best ball rotavis, you can find an old article that I wrote about the league format. <laughs> um, like, like a couple of years ago. Um, so that's, that's something that, that you could do. Um, maybe not all of the things cause that it kind of has a weird playoff structure. So maybe not all of the things would apply to your league, but, um, I think the general idea of head to head best ball, uh, is definitely something to look at.
2: I'm, I'm all for this. So I'm going to have to check that out as well. So, Hey, we appreciate you coming in here every week, to, uh, listening to us, uh, throughout the regular season. Make sure that you keep doing that in season. This is when things are really going to pick up. And, uh, don't forget, sign up for that RotoViz listener discount through the listener homepage of RotoViz.com forward slash podcast. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at MattFTheOracle. Don't forget to call in to 978-925-7628 or email us at RotoVizRadio and give us your tough calls of the week. If you're the lucky person who's one we pick, we will answer your question for you. So uh, be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Roto-Viz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.
1: Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.